Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations radio show and podcast, where local business leaders share how they integrate humanity and technology through innovative approaches, healthy culture, flexible workspaces, and seamless virtual technology. We are your hosts, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. This podcast is brought to you by Max 6 building better communities where people and businesses thrive. Uh, first, Jen, good to see you today. Hello, good to see you as well. So we are lucky. We are so excited to have our good friend, amazing human, and co-founder of Anthem, Brian Moore, on the show with us. We're going to pick his brain, talk about what makes healthy cultures, learn more about what Anthem is all about, and who knows where else we'll go. So welcome, Brian. Yeah, that. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And yeah, this uh, this could go in a number of different directions. I'm excited. I am as excited what's going to come out of my mouth as maybe you guys are. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, I'm excited and a little nervous, but uh, we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> Great. So we always like to start every show with just learning a little bit about what makes you, you. So if you can tell us where you grew up, um, and then how you got to where you are today, that would be wonderful. Yeah, happy to. So I grew up in uh, Munster, Indiana, which interestingly, of all the places in Indiana, seems to be a town. And it's not a very big one that a lot of people have heard of. It's about a half an hour south of the city of Chicago on the Indiana border side, obviously. Grew up in that area, uh, oldest of uh, three boys amazing mom and dad. And uh, just they afforded me all of the middle class opportunities that they didn't have when they were growing up, uh, helped put all three of us through college, went to Indiana University, had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And uh, as a result of that not knowingness, uh, I took the first job that I was offered with, uh, at the time, what was known as Bank One. And uh, I did uh, a little over three years with Bank One, moved in and around all throughout Chicagoland and Milwaukee. And then just over the course of my time, just living in the Midwest, and, and I love it back there, I just grew really tired of the weather. It can be a little chilly in the winter and a little gray uh, the rest of the year. And I just wanted to see some sunshine. And so towards the latter half of 1997, I put in a request to transfer. And at the time, Bank One's two biggest uh, footprint, uh, geographic footprint uh, areas was Columbus, Ohio and Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, when comparing the two, I'm like, well, which one's going to offer me more sunshine? <laughs> it was an easy choice. So packed my stuff in a U-Haul and uh, drove out to Phoenix sight unseen. I'd never really been west of the Mississippi and, you know, got here at the uh, end of 1997 and have been here ever since. My time in in the banking financial services world, while it was super educational, great for me, it just left me feeling a bit um, unfulfilled at the end of the day. And so thankfully, my wife, who's always just been my biggest cheerleader, just encouraged me. She's like, listen, you're early enough in your career that if you're going to do a bit of a control-alt-delete, do it now. And so I did. And that landed me in what I consider to be the turning point of my professional career, no doubt, and uh, became one of the lucky to be included as one of the founding members of a job board called Jobbing.com, was one of the earliest employees there, uh, and then rode that rocket ship ride for about 11 years, 
which that time there was really where I learned uh, just the importance of values alignment, culture alignment uh, when hiring and building a company. And that led me to uh, a, a variety of other experiences that I've had that I'm, I'm just super fortunate to have been surrounded by you know, great people uh, and even in the career experiences that uh, have not gone as well as I wanted them to. And there have been some. Without those, I don't think I'd be where I am. So I am grateful as painful as they were you know, those learning lessons are so critical. And, uh, you know, all of that has culminated into uh, doing my best to combine the things that really drive me. That brings me to uh, to Anthem, which I'm assuming we'll get to at some point. Been married for, it'll be 22 years in, at the end of February, uh, two teenage daughters, which is insane. Uh, one of them has her driver's license, which is extra insane. I'm pretty blessed. I'm really, really lucky and, and fortunate. So that's a little bit about me. Wow, that's a, that was quite the journey. And well, so many questions came to mind. Um, but when you're talking about your daughter having her driver's license, uh, my son is six and we went to Legoland maybe last year or the year before and he got his little driver's license. Like if you go around the track or whatever. Yep. And he had this big debate at school that he's telling all of his friends, I have my driver's license. And they're all like, no, you're making up stories. So he had to bring it to school. But just the thought of him actually having his driver's license is a little terrifying and... I feel like it's going to be here before you know it. Like you just blink. Yeah, it happens fast. And, uh, you know, my oldest got it in, uh, got her driver's license at the end of August. And so here we are, what, four or five months post. And uh, yeah, it's just this really interesting parental responsibility of, or it's this paradox of the responsibility of teaching them that this is a 2000 pound weapon that you are in charge of. And not everybody respects it. So we need you to respect it. And then also just this letting go of, you know, when she gets in the car and she grabs her, her younger sister and they drive to Dutch bros to get their, uh, their blended rebels, which is language I never thought I'd know, but I know it intimately now because of the, the number of trips that they, they take there. But it's like, the, you know, two of the three people in the world that I love most leave the house on their own and like they're gone. And it just, what it reminds me of is, advice that was probably given to me that I just blew off, which is how important those first, you know, five, six, seven years are, you know, if you're choosing to be a parent to just model the values and right from wrong and responsibility and trust and all the important values early, because, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. You can't, I want to control the decisions that they make when they leave the house, but I can't like, I, they're gone and, and I'm no longer, you know, I'm not the watchful eye. So it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. I'd love to go back to the Lego land days. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Isn't it so weird though? Cause like when I think about it, I'm like, I guess a year out, I'm far enough removed to like think about, Oh, so fun. But it really wasn't fun. Like trying to chase them, worried that they're going to get lost. They're crying about not having stuff. I'm having like meltdowns. Like, And so I think like when I think back, it's going to be a beautiful experience, but like in it, like, why can't we just you know, you never, well, a lot of times you don't enjoy while you're, while you're in it. Um, so true. true. One question you touched on a little bit is looking back at time. And if someone gave you advice, but you didn't really um, understand it or didn't, um, land, if you were to go back to like 18 year old Brian and give him advice, what advice would you give him looking back? Honestly, it would be, which is just sounds so cliche, but it's really trust my gut and my heart and let that lead the way and bring my brain with me instead of always thinking and thinking and thinking and just 
letting my mind lead the way, regardless if, if my thoughts were running somewhat contrary to how I felt in my gut, that would be the number one piece. And I still struggle with it today, right? I mean, it's not, that's a, it's advice I give myself on a daily basis. It, it, it's as important, uh, you know, for 18 year old me as it is for 48 year old me. I, I need to remind myself of that. I suffer from allowing my brain and wondering what does everybody think and are they going to like this or is so-and-so going to like that? And I just have to remind myself that if I'm being true to what I feel, then whether they, someone likes it or not is on them. It's not my responsibility. And, um, and that's just, that's been a lifelong struggle for me. I'm working on it. So that's the advice I'd give. And it's the, it's the advice I still take. I mean, I think that's applicable to every human on this planet, right? I don't think it's a unique Brian Moore struggle. I think we all have that on on some level. And I was having a conversation the other day about like, if most of the time, well, or all the time, if you follow your gut, if you really take the time to go and listen to what it's telling you and follow it, it doesn't do you wrong. Like you might not have the outcome that you want, but it was all intended. But why do we... How and why do we get trained to not listen to that? Just yeah, it's a great question, and I don't know if, if you're posing it rhetorically. I respect <laughs> it. I, I, I don't know that I have a, a great answer. <laughs> I, I just I wonder if you know we are all products the legacy educational institutions that have been around forever, and I think those and, and not not that they're bad. They've gotten us to where we're at. Oh, my God. I mean, we are experiencing the best time to be alive in the history of the human race right now, despite what anyone else might say. Um, look, look at I mean, we're talking to each other through a video and like, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, these advances in technology and how we're able to capitalize and live better lives as a result of it. But I do think um, not notwithstanding, school doesn't necessarily teach us to embrace how we feel to trust our gut and some of these other things that are just so innately human. And I don't know why I don't have a good answer, but I do think that that is likely part of the puzzle. How freeing it is to be in a place where you can trust your gut and see success from that and trust your feelings. I think it's just, I think we need both sides, but it's harder to quantify that. And the other part of it, just, you could, test scores like is your intellect where you should be where you need to be and we're tested on that all the time it's not it's not really the narrative of what we hear out there of uh all of this next unicorn uh company that's out there and it just it seems like they outsmarted the market but really it's uh how much work did they do to go out and ask questions and how do people you know how do people interact with this and feel and, and how does it make them feel it's uh my, my question, Brian, I heard you say uh, when you were talking about to your uh, younger 18-year-old self, or maybe it was when you were introducing yourself, um, that you didn't know at the time what you wanted to do when you grow up. Do you know now what you want to do when you grow up? You know, it's, <laughs> uh, I do, but the answer doesn't lie in what what I think most people think are the right answers or the right category of answers when asked that question. Mine is more along the lines of this notion of what uh, I've been able to sort of work through and continue to work through is, is my personal core purpose, uh, and that's to bring people closer together. Now, how does that manifest itself in a job, right? Is that an accountant? Is that a marketer? Is that a salesperson? Sure, it could be any of those things. So, 
back when I was, you know, er, much earlier in my life, I had no idea that I was being driven by uh, a, a core purpose or something that was very, very meaningful for me. And I think each person, you know, goes through this life. It's unique to them, whether or not an individual wants to figure out and ask some of those deeper questions, you know, it's up to everyone and, and neither's right, neither's wrong. Uh, we, we all travel our own path. But for me, based upon my unique wiring, having uh, a, a meaning or a purpose to pursue in, in, you know, probably in recent years, I would say over the last 10 years or so has just, that's been my driving force of making sure that whatever gifts, talents, abilities that I can acquire or already have that I'm going to put to use. I want to put those to use towards this notion of bringing people together. And I think, uh, you know, as the world continues to take positive advantage of all these technological advancements, you know, one of the perhaps unintended consequences is this notion that technology could become a surrogate for real connection. And, and if we lose that, you know, it's a little scary. It's like, I think back to the, you know, the uh, Terminator movie and the whole cyborg, it's like, you know, wow, maybe that's not as far-fetched as we thought it was when we were kids and we were watching, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Schwarzenegger um, as the Terminator uh, and this, you know, robot takeover. So it's just really interesting. And I think, um, I don't know, I feel, I, for me personally, uh, that's where I want to spend my time is bringing people closer together because it just has amazing wins for both the people themselves and then in the business environment, the, the, the more trust that exists amongst the team, the, the deeper the connections, the better the relationships, the better the performance. So if we feel better as people, and then the business can serve its stakeholder community better and achieve better results, like what's so bad about that? And we can use technology while we do that. So it's just, I think it's this cool blend of, of all of what's happening right now. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think going back to like the school and what we're taught and following our gut and all of those things, like if we were able to focus on helping people identify what their core purpose is earlier, I was just listening to a podcast with Jim Collins and he was talking about if but by the time you're 30, you have a clear, clear understanding of what your core purpose is, how you achieve that can be flexible, right? So you're not, you're not growing up with what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. I want to help people or I want to, you know, bring people closer together. And then that opens up so many different avenues. And when one door closes, like say you can't get into med school or whatever, you still have ways to move around the world. And it's not, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. It's just, this is my core purpose and I need to achieve it in a different way. So I, I've been personally also thinking a lot about that because we do a lot of work, as you know, Brian, about like company purpose and what's what's your company or organization's purpose. But I think just as important, if not maybe more important, is understanding individuals' core purpose for people who are interested in, in going to that journey. Because I, I agree, it's, it's definitely not for everyone. But for those who have, what I find is when people have that, want that question, it's, it comes deep from with, within. And so... I don't know, maybe we're going to do an education revolution, the three of us, and bring purpose education. I know there's a lot of people doing some good work around that. But I want to touch a little bit on what you were talking about with your experience on jobbing.com. And, and you just talked about um, you know high-performing teams that have healthy cultures and, and high levels of trust. Where did that journey for you begin and how did you experience it? Like, when was a light bulb moment of, oh, wow, you know, teams with high levels of trust is a really key component? 
I mean, it was for sure during my time uh, at jobbing.com. And I think being a part of a startup organization that had a very clear mission, uh, and we didn't call it a purpose back then, we called it our mission or our vision, which I know can be, uh, those words can be interchanged, uh, of wanting to provide both job seekers as well as employers a different advertising or a different connection venue other than the daily newspaper, which, you know, if you think back to the year 2000 and, you know, end of the nineties into the year 2000, the daily newspapers, whether it was the Arizona Republic or the Chicago Tribune or the Dallas Morning Star, whatever it was, the daily still dominated the employment classified market. When you needed a job, you'd wait for the Sunday paper and you'd scour the classifieds and you'd, you know, do the old school fax your resume in. And, you know, being a part of a company that wanted to challenge that traditional model and provide, you know, a a better one, a more innovative one. And then knowing that because there weren't a lot of job boards in existence yet. At the time, Monster existed. Headhunter.net had existed. And I think Hotjobs.com, which was not yet at that time owned by Yahoo. So this was like early days. Those were like the... You know, they were all just sparkles. I mean, they were small. They, they were they were they were small organizations, and so it's not like we could hire people who had experience. And so we got this really unbelievable education and recognizing that all right, if you can't hire people who have experience in your industry, you better set your sights on hiring people that bring something else that's going to unite us. And what we landed on was values. Who are people that have a bias for action? Who are people that want to create wow experiences? And we had a a list of our core values. And then we used those. And we didn't pay a heck of a lot of attention to what their experience was. Because if we were able to suss out alignment in their values, we could teach them what we were doing. Helping employers and job seekers connect, it's, it's not that difficult. I mean, there's a lot of nuance to it, don't get me wrong, but um, so that was for me sort of this wow education. Uh, And when you do that, when you bring people on or you choose your hiring filter as values, I mean, trust immediately starts to to occur from that. Uh, And what's interesting is, is there's really, and I've learned this now, there's really a couple of different elements of trust. One is the, the trust that comes from someone's competency. You know, when you hire them, do they deliver the goods? Can they do their job? You know, can they do it at a, at a reliable level? Of course, they can make a mistake here or there. We're all human. But then with values at the forefront, the other piece that just really started to emerge, and I would have never labeled it this back then, but this notion of benevolence-based trust, like trust that is a felt sense, to get back to what Kyle was mentioning earlier, like I feel, I mean, you two are perfect examples. We've never worked together but I trust both of you, uh, not only from a competency standpoint, but from a benevolence. I believe in my heart, I can feel it, that you both always are coming from good intention. Even if a decision you make or a comment you share runs counter to what I would do, I know you're coming from a good place. You have good intent. That's a felt sense. At least it is for me, and I think it is for most of us. And so with values at the forefront and bringing people in who are aligned to values, I think what we were sort of like hacking was this notion of benevolence-based trust that the people we are hiring were just like us, 
not that they had the same experiences or weren't diverse, but they had that same like good intention. And that was my indoctrination to the importance of trust in teams. And I've just never let it go. It's why I've left the positions that I've left or or was asked to leave because that feeling wasn't there. And so, you know, for me, it's a non-starter. If the feeling of that isn't there, I just, I won't be able to do my best work and it's pointless to continue. That was a really long answer to a short question. Sorry about that. No, it's, it's all so important. And from my experience, so I do a lot of work with organizations and talk about the importance of values and why they're so needed. And I think I have two experiences. One is the company that's like, yep, we have values, check the box. And then I have another group of companies who are like, yeah, and they want to live it and their behavioral statements and it's really part of their culture. But when when you have a company who says, yeah, we have the values, check the box, but now we have all these people issues, what's going on? How do you... There's a bridge to get over to the other side of it's really ingrained into our culture. So how... How have you seen it to be successful to really be woven in um, to an organization versus just, you know, the cliche poster on the wall type organization? I think 100% and you, you, I bet you both know what I'm going to say is it starts with the leadership team and whether or not they're going to choose to make their decisions using the values as the filter, period. End of story. No matter how hard it gets, no matter the uh, potential downside to today's results, but they're making the right decision based upon what they've decided are the values that will guide their behaviors, no matter what that impact is. Because the decisions you make today obviously impact the future road you're traveling down. And the minute you begin to compensate for something that you've put up on the wall and said, this is how we're going to live, is the minute you give everybody else permission to do the same thing. And to me, that's where you get into sticky situations. And listen, it's not always black and white or as easy as I might make it sound. I get it. I totally get it. And that's where transparency has to come in. And so if a leader or a leadership team is going to make a decision that feels out of alignment, but it's the only decision that will keep them alive or what if it's dire circumstances, then I think the leadership team owes it to the rest of the organization to lead with utter transparency to explain, hey, here's the situation we're in. Here's the decision we're faced with. Here's what we have to do in order to uh, preserve our future. And we know this flies in the face of something we hold near and dear, but our backs are up against the wall and this is a decision we have to make. So I think it's those experiences that um, end up, if, if the clarity, the transparency uh, isn't there from the leadership team to everyone else, then you just give everyone else the same sort of license or permission to, you know, skate when they want and slip and slide down that slippery slope when they want. And things can get out of hand pretty quickly, especially if the organization, you know, has a decent number of folks. It's interesting. I mean, we're going through, we've been going through a crazy time over the last year, to say the least, as uh, society and, and businesses and personal and everything that's been going on. And I think it's a time, I mean, when the economy's not doing as well, these things get really tested. How real are these values? And the sort of joke, not joke, that the uh, the most expensive MBA that you can get is to start or run a business. It's not that stuff that you get taught in school that's the hard part. I think it's when you're forced with these hard decisions, these times where uh, there's tension against 
what is natural in your values and, and what, what you should be doing as a leader to model those values, it gets, that's when it gets really hard. And that's when uh, there's not a lot of prior uh, stuff to go off of sometimes that, uh, hey, we're having to make a decision right now and it is in our face and we're not sure what the right answer is. We know what's up on the wall, but are we willing to, are we willing to really, really do that and stick with it? Because now's when it matters. It's been interesting times. It's, it's been, I mean, that's been the hardest part probably of being, of being in max six over the last year is making some of those decisions. It's, I, I think everyone's felt that. I, I, I can only begin to imagine as I've thought about max six and uh, how much uh, you and the rest of the team care deeply about the work that you guys do. And, and yeah, I mean, it is, it's been a challenging year to say the least, no doubt. And I agree with you, Kyle. I don't have a whole lot to add other than just a tremendous amount of violent agreement. (laughs) So if we think about values, like values are a great way to, build trust within an organization. Cause like what you talked about, Brian, when you see the leadership walking their talk and doing what they say, that builds trust. But there's also all of those like micro moments at work where you put, we've talked about this a lot is, and one of the reasons we named this podcast, the future of work water cooler conversations. We want to talk about the future and what we think the, the next generation of work will look like, but also the water cooler is missing like for the last year, right? We're all virtual. And I know on our own team, we've experienced it. I would, you know, pop in, Kyle and I shared an office. We've, I've been remote since March. I can't go into Chrissy's office and, you know, talk about fantasy football, all those moments and those little moments build trust on a team. So share with us your thoughts around what we've been missing and how we continue to bring people together when we, physically cannot be. Yeah, uh, it's such a great question and it's so important. And I think, you know, you you refer to them as the water cooler moments and I love that label. What we've been referring to them are the informal rituals that I think we've all taken for granted. I'm not saying like deliberately, but here we are, right? We've all been physically distanced for quite a while, or at least a lot of folks have. And it's like, damn, I really miss the bumping into Kyle, grabbing a cup of coffee and running into Jen when I'm running down the stairwell and we have a minute just to chat and catch up. Or as you mentioned, you know, talking to Chrissy about fantasy football, I think business responded fairly quickly and and pretty damn well to the formal rituals, whether it was your Monday meetings or your regular one-on-ones, your town halls. Like we didn't skip a beat with the formal rituals. It's the informal rituals, coffee in the morning, random hallway connections, chit-chatting before and after meetings in the conference room, going to lunch on a whim, being the last two people in the office and, you know, shooting the breeze before you turn the lights off. Those things, that is the basis of real, where real relationship building, I think, comes from. I I believe that. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer to it, or one of the answers, right, there's probably a whole bunch of answers, but as, as the work world settles into this you know, work from anywhere reality, which, listen, my crystal ball is pretty damn fuzzy, but I think it's here to stay um, in some fashion Mm -hmm. that we're going to have to be way more intentional of how to create some opportunities to do that. And you're not going to have the same frequency of them. You, You just won't, or at least not yet. And so finding a cadence that works for your team or for your company 
where you can create intentional water cooler moments or informal ritual moments to make sure that in addition to the work that's clearly still being done, that you're not losing all of those trust building, relationship building, connection building moments that I think is really what is the DNA of of so many cultures. It's the connection that people, business is just a whole bunch of people presumably organized around a common mission and purpose guided by a set of values. And these interconnections that happen at the water cooler moments, I think matter a lot. And I think we're really starting to see it. Um, I think this year is going to be really, really interesting to see how companies fulfill it. We're here. And, uh, it is what it is. And I'm excited that you know what we're working on at Anthem is in some small way an attempt to put a piece of that puzzle together. And you know, I think there's going to be other opportunities out there. It's It's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I think this is a good time to talk to us a little bit about Anthem and what you're doing. I've heard bits and pieces. I've seen a few things, but I don't know that I fully know. So if you could explain, what is Anthem? So at its core, we're a social wellness company. We, we want to help teams who actually care about you know unlocking the social capital that exists for the purpose of driving better results, of course, but also you know, being able to replace all of these informal rituals that once, you know, happened so naturally and so serendipitously in the office. And so the way we do that, we built a technology platform. The platform is there to ignite human experiences, though. So it's this combination of technology and human experiences. And the platform, what it's there to do is to walk individuals through uh, essentially a, a reflection opportunity for them to think about some of the most important moments, stories, or even just eras from their life. You know, it could be from childhood. It could be the sports team that they played on in high school. It could be the first birth of a first child. It could be moving across the country for uh, an important job or, or a romantic relationship, whatever. So we walk people through a process to reflect on some of the more important moments and memories from their life. They catalog them. And then as part of our introductory module, we've chosen music as sort of a component of the story capture process where every story is then symbolized or represented by a song that means something to that individual or is connected to that story. And the reason we chose music as this first trigger or symbol is when you bring people together in a virtual environment like what we're in today, you know, oftentimes it's hard to break the ice. You, you could be an introvert or just, you know, not someone that loves to race into talking about, you know, stories and moments from your life. And through all of our beta testing, what we learned is people need just a little bit of an elixir, like a catalyst, a bridge builder to sort of open the door. And because music is such a universal language, regardless of what you listen to, I, I haven't met anyone in my life that hates music. Uh, there are varying degrees of people either like it or love it, but hate is, I just haven't run into a music hater. And so when, when you put a group of people together and give them an opportunity to share stories with one another, that, that are stories from their life, when you are, are doing it in combination with music, it just connects people in such a fascinating way. And it opens the door, it makes it safe, it makes it okay. And all of a sudden, you just start having all these random cool connections with people, not only based upon, hey, I used to listen to that band or that song, or oh, my older brother used to listen to that, or 
you know, my mom loved that song. They always played it in the house on the record player. So you've got these cool music connections, but then it's like, wow, Jen, Kyle, I can't believe you had that life experience. Something like that happened to me as well. And so you start having these really interesting connections with your teammates where I think the world is, the work world particularly is evolving to is this notion that we've always known our teammates pretty damn well based on what they do. But as a result of the pandemic and this unintentional invitation into everybody's house, because we've all been using video technology for a period of time, like we've actually started to see who our teammates really are. And so, you know, the timing of this is just seems to be ideal. And so we're just sort of stepping on that accelerator of giving people the opportunity to replace those informal rituals, those water cooler moments, creating intentional opportunities for connection, using personal stories of the individual's choosing and the music that served as the soundtrack to those stories in a story sharing experience that brings people together. And it just has, I'm pinching myself because it's just, it's so much fun and people are loving it and it provides just this really important human connection that I think has been lost. And Kyle, to your point, and I'll finish up here, you know, there's a lot in the world that's trying to rip us apart. Um, There's a lot of divisiveness. We spend eight hours a day with our colleagues Let's have the workplace be a place where we can unite around our commonalities and our shared experiences. Let that be a sanctuary to bring us together and start to drown out the bullshit that we've been exposed to over the last, you know, 10, 11 months. I just had an idea. This is my, it might be a terrible idea, Brian, but what if you took people from different opposing political views and had them do this? Uh, We've, I love the idea. It's a, it's, I think it's brilliant. Uh, we thought about it. We thought about a bunch of different use cases, like anywhere building benevolence-based trust would advance the cause. This is a platform that can do it. And you know, we get asked, like, okay, well, you know, we have a whole bunch of people at our company that love music, but we've got a few people that like it, but they they have a hard time connecting their stories to a song because maybe they're just not that avid of a music lover. The future of it is modules based on other triggers, books you've read, movies you've watched, TV shows that impacted you, travel destinations that, you know, changed your perspective on the world, family traditions that were a part of your, you know, your childhood, a class you took at school. So if you can think about all these triggers that do connect us, a tattoo you got, whatever, like all these different things that, well, if you only knew that about your teammates, Um, Someone who you don't think you have anything in common with, instantly you can start to build connection with people. You don't have to be best friends, but why not take advantage of these opportunities to build better relationships, more trust? It's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, it's. I think there's a saying, like, it's really hard to hate someone you know. Well, I don't know if that's a thing. But like, it's like when you don't like someone, you build up all this stuff about them and you don't really know them. It's so much easier to not like or not trust someone you don't know. And then once they become familiar or share something in common, then it's like, oh, they're they're a lot like me. You're giving, totally. you're giving that person the opportunity to control the narrative of the story as opposed to making yep. it up in your head. Mm-hmm. It's 100%. Brian, what you're talking about with Anthem, and I just, I've been, we've been talking about this for a long time where technology is moving so fast and 
what you said earlier, the fact that we're sitting on Zoom being able to do this show today is an example. But it's going so fast today, it almost was unwieldy, where this uh, societally, this gangly teenager, the very awkward, trying to figure out how do we use this technology? And exactly what you said, the pandemic put us in a place where none of it was natural. It was, even if we were finding moments of time to really connect above just the competency-based trust, it was so unnatural that we were, it's, uh, I mean, I'll out myself and say I've been going to couples counseling for a year and a half or so. And it's, it feels like that. There are some very unnatural times uh, and activities based solely on because I want this to be something that feels better in the future. And so how do we take the technology that we have and bring this human element to it? Music is such a human thing. I mean, it, you said it, but it's anybody who says I like music, it's okay. I have... I, I doubt that I could find an individual person who couldn't get into a car, hear a certain song and be like, oh man, that just took me back. They call it whatever they want to call it, a, you know, my favorite song, a banger, whatever intergenerationally they'd call that, you know, thing that just makes them feel that thing. But what a way to connect, really connect between human beings and not just connect based on can we accomplish some goal together? Yeah, that's almost a byproduct then. Yeah, I think I think they feed each other. Uh, I I really do, and it's interesting too. You know, I've dove into you know, or at least begun to scratch the surface of the neuroscience of our brain on music, and it's really really interesting how music uh, affects the human brain, and immediately uh, can help transport us out of the amygdala hijack of that fight flight freeze that you know sometimes we find ourselves in whether we want to be there or not, but like if you're having a meeting with your boss, you know, oftentimes you're stuck in the, oh man, what's going to happen? And I'm going to be either fighting, running, or just frozen. When music's a part of the equation, you, you are brought to the prefrontal cortex where creativity and imagination take the driver's seat. And all of a sudden it just starts to flow. And that to me is just like this beauty of what music does and what rhythm does. So I, I love it. Obviously, based on my background, that what's hanging on the wall, you know, I've thrown myself into. I bet music's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. But I'm just uh, to be able to integrate the power, the magic, the time machine-like power. You said, Kyle. I think it's a time machine. I listen when I hear REO Speedwagon, any of their work. I am right back to the Indiana State Fair. Like, I remember going to see them as a kid at the Indiana State Fair. Take it on the run, baby. That's the way you want it, baby. I mean, like in an instant, I can smell the elephant ears and the cotton candy and riding the tilt-a-whirl and hanging out with my friends with my awful cut-off short jeans and my tank top and looking like, uh, good God, I'm glad those photos are not in digital format, but like that's, we've had those experiences and that music's just, it is, it's a time machine. It really is. And it's so cool. And it's so funny that you share that because my mom's favorite band was REO and she used to sing to me, Time for Me to Fly as like a nursery rhyme, which is a terrible song to sing to go to bed. 
But I caught myself singing it to my daughter because I she just wouldn't sleep one night and I'm just singing it. You know, it's all about leaving relationships and stuff. I don't know what that's about, but it's so funny that there's that connection. And to me, so to me, it's it's all about, you know, my mom and listening to those those songs. So it was so crazy. I just, I just delivered an anthem uh, experience to a law firm and I literally finished up maybe 20 minutes before we jumped on. And this law firm, this is not your traditional law firm. They do, uh, they have a variety of different practices, but they got a, a really big, you know, what I guess would be considered a contact center group. And it was a really, really diverse group of folks. I mean, super diverse in every way you can think of diversity from the normal stuff to thought diversity. When I get this audience level view, you know, some of the different life moments and stories and the music that this group of like 55 or 60 people chose, never in a million years would I have guessed that the, 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 the so I do some cool trivia with the teams during the experience just to see how well they know each other. Never in a million years would I have guessed that the song that appeared more times on people's profiles than any other song, given uh, my judgment of the group going into it, was Hotel California. And these are, uh, you know, many of these, uh, many of their teammates were pretty young. Like, I never would have thought that that song would have transcended. The second was Journeys Don't Stop Believing. But the genre that this group chose more often than not was hip hop and rap. And so it's like this really weird, I don't know what we're learning yet. We're too early in the journey. But like, I think an early thing is, is like, I can, I, I think we're all judgmental. I'm guilty of it. And I'll make a judgment call how wrong I've been so many times using music as that filter. It's been, it's been super crazy. So how does it work, Brian? So if a team is interested, like what, what are the, like, what's the process? So it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, the, you know, the team or the team leader would, uh, obviously we'd set a date and time. Uh, the workshop itself usually lasts about an hour. It can go an hour and a half, just depends on the size of the team. Then the only uh, homework required is every member of the team will go create their Anthem profile. And that consists of them uh, cataloging five moments from their life and then the songs that represent those moments into what we call the five-moment intro. So we attempt to help people think about, hey, if you were going to introduce yourself to your teammates based upon five moments from your life, what are those five that you'd want to share? And then what's the song that represents each of them? Which is a really fun part. It's an individual experience. It's very reflective. Uh, It's cool. People dig it. Uh, and then when the then we uh, host this intentional experience through Zoom, where it's a series of some interactive trivia and some fun stuff to see how well people know one another. The team leader may or may not want me to emphasize like the why behind we're doing this around the trust building and the connection building and replacing some of those water cooler moments. So, you know, we've got the education component if they want that to be emphasized, or we can just keep it all fun. But the real magic comes from uh, after some of the interactive trivia, we'll take the team, which is usually like the ideal team size or group size is around 20 to 30 people. Uh, you can do smaller, but anything bigger than 20 or 30, you start like you have too many Zoom pages. So you want to be able to fit all the tiles on one page so that you, you kind of feel like you're together. We'll take that big, bigger group and then use the breakout room technology, put them into groups of three or four, and then they spend about a half hour with one another 
doing story sharing and getting into these cool conversations based upon the moments that they've cataloged and the songs that represent them. And people come back from those Zoom breakout rooms, either, you know, laughing their butts off. Uh, We've had people with tears rolling down their face. I mean, we've had some really powerful moments. You know, people really get into it. And then we do some really cool debrief and then an action step, something that I challenge them with to do. Uh, and then we wrap up. I mean, that's a super high level overview, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it isn't, it's about uh, replacing those, uh, those water cooler informal ritual moments with something that's meaningful, fun, and involves stories and music. So. So awesome. Were you working on this before COVID or is this a COVID creation? Well, we, we, so my co-founder and I, uh, we both joined an EO forum at different times, but the first experience, and you guys have probably both been through something quite similar. I'm, I'm fairly certain you have. Uh, when I joined the forum, the very first experience I went through is called the Lifeline. And so it's just cataloging essentially the story of one's life and then sharing it in a shortened format with the forum so that they get to know me as quickly as possible. Uh, and we can build that, that level of trust. And when I joined my forum three years ago, I was just, I'd never done a lifeline experience before. I was so blown away by how quickly I was able to build connection with total strangers based upon me sharing the story of my life and like the good and the bad. And one of the guys in the forum also had a very profound experience when he joined the forum about a year before me, a West Point grad and a product builder. And over the past three years, he and I, just as we got to know each other really, really well, he's like, hey, you ever think the lifeline experience could be brought to corporate teams to help them really you know, connect with one another? And so that's where the idea stemmed from. You know, Adding music to it uh, occurred later in the, in the thinking around it. And the whole intent was we were going to have this thing be an in-person experience. But then the pandemic hit and we thought we were dead in the water. And uh, so we just decided to stick with it. Obviously, we were passionate about the idea. And here we are. And I, I think it's going to be needed now more than ever. I'd still love to do it in person at some point. But right now, I talk to so many team leaders who are so used to doing escape rooms and happy hours and top golf and bowling and all that's great. But it's so surface level. It's fun. But when you get back to the office, other than learning that Jim or Sally is a shitty bowler, you didn't really get to know them that much better. And so taking or replacing the pure fun blow off steam stuff and do something that's really meaningful that can build deeper levels of connection and trust. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time in human history where teams have needed it more. That's just my opinion. So true. The uh, Bobby McFerrin Ted talk where he's up there with a neuroscientist, basically jumping side to side having the crowd making the the musical notes. Yeah. One of the most interesting parts of that to me was, well, it was interesting, of course, the point he's making is that music is in everybody. It's across the world. It's a universal language. But it was the faces of the people behind him and in front of him that are all of a sudden realizing the person to my right and my left, even if I didn't know them before, I know them they're doing the same thing with me and it's creating this different kind of connection. What, I mean, it's almost, uh, what we're taught as leaders in business in some ways 
to be really connected with our people and create a real high level connection. But don't be don't be friends. You, you got to be boss and person that's under the boss. You have that relationship, and so. But you see this deeper level of connection happen sometimes. This is friendship. I mean, what is there a is there a place for that role in business? I think there absolutely is, and that's where um, leaning on all of the studies that uh, whether they're age old studies like Gallup's uh, employee engagement data dating back to 1996 when they launched their Q12 survey. I'll, I'll point to that one at the moment. If you look at the aggregate over the last, what is that? So 1996 till now, what is that? 25 years. So 25 years of data. Is that right? Yeah. 79% of individuals who cite that they have at least one best friend at work are seven times more likely to be engaged. I mean, that's pretty compelling data. You look at Google's Project Aristotle. When that sense of psychological safety exists, it's been proven, at least through Google, the number one criteria for high-performing teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deloitte, they launched uh, their Human Capital Trends Report, their annual report. They've been doing it for 20 years now. Uh, At the beginning of this year, this was even pre-pandemic. They had this massive expose uh, on this new sort of frontier that, at that time, I think was new to many people called sense of belonging and, and and how important that is to the employee experience that people really feel like they are a part of something. I don't think you can achieve any of these things without maintaining some level of getting outside of the hierarchy and the boss subordinate relationship. Listen, it might some companies just aren't going to buy into it, or I should say some leaders aren't going to buy into it. Fine. They're not going to like Anthem. I'm not trying to build it for them. But there are plenty of leaders out there who are who recognize that if I can bring a better sense of connection, build more benevolence-based trust within the members of my team, despite how diverse they might be, we're going to be a better team for it. That's who we're building this for. And I know they're out there. You guys know they're out there. We know a lot of who they are already. Simply a matter of, you know, right place, right time. And I think about like, so my husband works for Charles Schwab and he manages their wire, outgoing wires or something. I don't know. I don't fully understand it, but him and I have had this unique experience. He works in the dining room. I work in the bedroom every day. So now we get to kind of see each other's world. And what I see is his team, they do, you know, like little weird trivia games and they do all sorts of things. And they're, his managers and directors are desperate to find things, but there isn't a lot of like meaningful things. So like the things that they do in their team meetings are so ridiculous and everybody kind of rolls their eyes, but they play along, but they're so like the sense for managers and directors are there. We should be doing something because we're missing something, but we don't know what to do. So I think having something like this is, is really powerful. And I think good managers and leaders, and I guess I'm making a judgment there, but are looking for opportunities and things that they can implement um, to continue to build trust because we all feel the loss, but we don't know how to, what to do about it. Yeah. We're in uncharted territory. I mean, when was the last time, you know, this percentage of our teammates, uh, we didn't see them for weeks, if not months on end. I mean, I don't know that it's ever happened, right? This is so new. And you know, as we settle into this new reality, this work from anywhere, work from home, hybrid, remote, whatever it's called, 
I think this is right. This will breed all kinds of different new innovative ideas. I, I hope we're one that sticks. I, I think we have a real potential to. Um, it's not still, you know, we have a ton of work to do. And Kyle, to your point around 2020 and, you know, the, the, the challenges, oh my God, I mean, building something from nothing, uh, this has been the most difficult and we're nowhere near, you know, over any humps yet. We've got so much work to do. And I wake up every day, you know, still like, is this the dumbest thing? Like, am I insane? Like, this is, does this work? And then I deliver an experience to the law firm today. And I talk to my point of contact after it's over. And I, you know, I'm like, Hey, how did it go? She's like, Oh my God, my, my inbox is filling up with nothing but positive comments about how much everyone needed this right now. And it's like, okay, we're on the right track. Like I'm not total, I'm a little crazy. I'm not completely (laughs) off my rocker. Yeah. if you're not feeling like you're a little bit insane sometimes, you know, you're not doing it right, I think. That's, I guess so. I, I thank you for that. Because I, yeah, yeah, I do feel a little crazy. But it's a good crazy. I'm following my heart. And that's the reminder back to my 18-year-old self. It feels good, but my brain wants to tell me, oh, the business isn't going to be able to do this. And and you don't have that figured out. And da, 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 da. and I can think my way right into, uh, you know, the the seven layers of Dante's, you know, whatever that, the depths of hell. I don't even know if it was seven layers, whatever it is. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Inferno. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So we're super excited for you, Brian. And uh, I think it's a great idea. Um, And I just see so much value. And I get the question all the time, like, my team doesn't trust each other, so fix it. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, it's not just a, <laughs> and so it's it's these small micro experiences consistently over time, as you know. And I think having this tool for leaders um, who are wanting to do it is is so powerful. So yeah, I think you're right. I, I think it's like anything. It's a building trust is a muscle, mm-hmm. and if you don't work it it atrophies. If you do, it gets stronger. You know, I think we all join companies. My my disposition is I give trust first until I'm given a reason not to. I realize some people are wired to make you earn it. Cool. Either way, regardless of which position we come from, it's a muscle that needs to be worked. And we were able to work it so serendipitously because there were so many collision opportunities in the office. Those are gone. Now we've got to figure out a different way. And um, yeah, I hope this is one of them. I definitely think it is. Um, So we only have a couple minutes left, but we want to ask our two questions that we ask everybody that are completely unrelated to what we're just talking about. But um, I don't know, maybe they're just selfish out of our own curiosity. We're building a list. So Kyle, if you want to start with your question. They're a little bit selfish, but maybe they're also building small moments of trust. (laughs) So... um, I'm going to switch my, I'm going to ask my regular question, but I'm going to switch it a little bit too. So my, my regular question is, what is your favorite book of all time? And what I'd like to add to it, and maybe this is even harder for you, Brian, is what's your favorite song of all time? The, the second question uh, might be impossible. <laughs> uh, my first question is undoubtedly uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. I read that book at the right time in my life. And that's the book that started me on this path towards asking myself like, huh, I wonder if I should sort of follow up a, a, a core purpose. That was the book that did it for me. 
Favorite song. Um, holy cow. God, that's so hard. This is like I, asking I, a parent I, to pick a favorite kid. <laughs> I have so many songs that I turn to for like different reasons and, and meanings and moods. And I don't think I can pick just one. I could give you an artist or a band that is like the go-to, like more commonly than any other, if that's uh, an okay improvisation here. That's perfect. Is undoubtedly the Grateful Dead. And their catalog is pretty vast. So, you know, trying to pick even a favorite song just from them is an impossibility. I appreciate the uh, the thinking on your feet, and, you know, a little bit. And that's uh, awesome. Thank you. That's the best I can do, man. I'm sorry. That's good. Um, so my question is, what is one life lesson that you learned in this last year that has forever changed you and will, you'll carry forward? The one that comes to mind is when the pandemic hit, I was already working from home. Uh, my wife was going into an office every day or traveling consistently and, you know, Jen, similar to you and your husband, you know, one's in the bedroom, one's in the dining room. My wife and I needed to figure out like how to balance this new reality. And I think as we initially thought about like spending all this time in the house together and, you know, living at work and working at home and all that, just, I don't know if this is a lesson, but it's like what it has reminded me of is how lucky I am to have her as my life partner because I think being cooped up with someone 24-7 and having no breaks, you know, could go the other way pretty quickly. And there's just been this unspoken deep level of respect that reinforces for me that I made a really, I got so lucky to, to find Jackie and I'm reminded of that daily. I don't know if that's a life lesson more than it is kind of a life reminder, but it's what came to mind. So that's my, that's my, that's my gut answer and reaction. It is perfect. That is a great reminder. Great. Well, thank you, Brian, for being on the show. It was so awesome. We can't wait to see or listen to where Anthem goes. So remind everybody if they want to get connected, how do they connect with you, Brian? Uh, the best place um, is the Anthem website, and Anthem is spelled A-N-T-H-Y-M as opposed to E-M, so Anthem with a Y, and the URL is anthem.life, uh, L-I-F-E, anthem.life. So that's if you want to learn more about the uh, about Anthem, uh, you can connect with me, Brian, at anthem.life, or you know, pop on LinkedIn or, or whatever. Uh, the, the, that all works. Or you can just call Kyle and Jen. They know how to reach me. Mm-hmm. We can find you. <laughs> thank you, Brian, for being on the show today. Uh, thank you for listening to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations radio show and podcast with your hosts, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. We are off to continue building better communities where people and businesses thrive and shining a light on business leaders who are defining what a healthy and productive workplace looks like in Arizona and beyond. To be a part of the conversation, join us for a tour of the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and visit us at max6.com. <music>